0: All right, in case you didn't hear that, Matthew 6, 5 through 15. The Lord is preaching in his early ministry. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, They have their reward in full, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions.
1: Let's pray before we go to our text. Our Father, our Father who art in heaven, oh Lord, how thankful we are that you are Father in Jesus Christ. We have no Father on this earth who can come near to comparing with your fatherliness, your love, your commitment to us, your care, your wisdom. Lord, thank you. And, Lord, we do continue with that thought that you are Father in heaven, and we pray, Lord, that uh, Hallowood would be your name, Holy would be your name, lest we mislead people about who you are, misrepresent you. Oh, God, renew us in our own determination today by your Spirit to... Seek after your holiness to be broadcast, to be evident in our lives, in our thoughts and words and deeds. Yes, and, your, and Lord, your kingdom come. You remind us that the big picture is your kingdom, that the one work, Jesus Christ, will come and bring all his saints with him and will rule and reign on this earth. And now, as you gather out your people, to be citizens of that kingdom. Thank you, Lord. And your will be done. And may that will be done through this conference, through the reports that we're going to hear in the next hour, through all our conversations, through our song, through our giving. Bring us back, Lord. Center us again. Renew us again. And while we're here, for your glory. In Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Well, it's my privilege to, to speak on this first Sunday of our World Missions Conference. It's a special time of the year in the church calendar. It's the way it's supposed to be. And I go back, if you will allow me, please, to November the 6th. 1983, our featured speaker that day was Dr. Robertson McQuilkin, He was then president of Columbia International University, or as he was in our earlier days, Columbia Bible College. He spoke on prayer for world missions. And in the second hour, he spoke on the compassionate heart of God in world missions. Now, that Sunday was preceded by something that we did on Saturday. There were 19 there. I don't know if any remnants are here still with us. All right, I see some gesture there. That we had a workshop. It was called the Great Commission Workshop. It was from 8 in the morning till about 4.30 in the afternoon. And we dismantled what was our fledging and awkward attempt to be the best we could at world missions. And we had to examine ourselves. It was an evaluation of our church and missions. And it was so beneficial. Now, we were doing some things for missions before then, here and there. But I look upon that time as sort of the gun, as it were, to get us out of the starting blocks and to go. Well, here we are 39 years later, and I'm mindful of a statement that I recently came upon, and I'll read it. Never underestimate the power of a small group of committed people to change the world. In fact, it is the only thing that ever has. Galatians 6, 9, so then while we have opportunity let us do good to all people, especially to those who are the household of faith. I like this turn, though we're not here to change the world, but we won't argue with that point for now. We'll see where we are in terms of what the Great Commission is, what is our challenge in charge. But I'm speaking to a household of faith. And what I want to do, and I purposely stopped in my prayer with I will be done, because some of you probably were wanting to go on, give us this day our daily bread and so forth. Those are points well taken in guiding us in prayer. But what I want us to do is to focus our attention on the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, which is I will be done. I think I'll hazard this, kids, some of us have probably tended to stumble over that a little bit. If we think, well, is really uh, God in a frustrated state? So, uh, and are we uh, left to kind of stumble along to find out what that will is? Now, what I want to do, very briefly, to set the table for where we're going to go, I want to make two observations. Get these. To my Presbyterian friends, I have something that will be of great comfort to you. I'm going to read from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's good. You ought to have a copy. It really works well. It's a catechism. And here's what it says. It's question number 103. And here is the question and then the answer. What do we pray in the third petition? Answer. In the third petition, which is, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, we pray that God, by his grace, would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to his will in all things as the angels in heaven. Here, Psalm 103. There are a couple of verses quoted, but I'll just mention this one. Psalm 103, 20 to 22. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Do you know who the best servants God has? Always perfectly obeying him. Angels. Angels. And they're an example of sort to us. Think about it. If you could think about angels being employed by God, I know that's not really a complete one. They can't go on strike and form unions and so forth and all that. But millions upon millions, ah, let your mind play with that for a while, they work for God. They're ideal employees, always following instructions. They maintain their assigned duties, quitting only when properly relieved. I mean, they're not, um, not present. They can only be one place at a time. But can they ever get there quickly? <laughs> and performing everything in proper manner that bring God glory. So, we do have some guidance here that there is an example, and it is in heaven. It says, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven How is it done in heaven? Perfectly. The angels are always, we're not, we don't see them, we don't hear wings fluttering, but oh, angelology, that's a wonderful truth. But we can't stop there. I said, I had two observations I want to make to set the table. First, think of where we're led with regard to the will of God. It's a will in this place, the will of which He speaks is that which is to be done and it's perfectly done in heaven okay we've got to go further the second observation is this what actually constitutes the will of God ah yeah I'm going to really have to be brief here this is this is huge I'll, I'll put it simply we ask God to help us do his work on earth in the way angels do it in heaven aha that makes sense? Okay, how so? God's will is always done in this sense. Now, there is a sovereign will of God. This is uh, kind of theology 101 here. Sovereign will of God. What's that? That's the big umbrella. That's everything. Everything is under the sovereign hand of God. Sometimes it's called the secret will of God. Acts 2 and 23 refers to the predetermined will. What is that predetermined will? Well, it's exactly this, that God, we can know this, he created the heavens and the earth with a word, ex nihilo, out of nothing. He provided a savior for a man who sinned and that work was accomplished on the cross of Jesus Christ. We know that. That's the part of the sovereign will of God. And we know every knee will bow to him. So this will has been declared, and we know it. That's not what, when he says that will be done, that will is done. Do we have that? That will is done. God's sovereign will is not contingent upon us. I'm setting this up for something a little later if you'll keep that in mind. Romans 9.19 says, Who resists his will? The answer, no one. God deter, if you will, God determines who lands on Park Place. For those who know something about Monopoly. And God's sovereign will is secret. He hides it from us until it happens. Now, we have another way in which will is used. And here's where we land on our text. That will be done. We have his moral will or revealed will. Now, that would be that his commands, the things that he wants done. He wishes that would be done. Is this always done? Well, sadly not. So, but here's, our here's what we're to do. God's will though is not always done on earth. We have the desired will of God. Sovereign will, secret, overall determined. Then we have the desired will of God. That's his revealed commands. Our Father does know best, and he's given to us the directions that we need. And so therefore the the prayer the prayer is really it's not prayer is not really about getting what we want. It's the fulfillment of his will, doing what he wants, what he asks us to do. I don't have to twist arms on that. Hopefully I don't this morning, but that's where we're going with this. Now, just to put it in a, a down-to-earth situation and where we should be going then, if God's will is his, that which, of which it speaks here in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done as it's done in heaven. It's done perfectly by angels. They do everything God's bidding requires. And we are to do that moral will. So we've got to know what it is when you say, well, let's put it this way then. If we make the mistake, here, let, let, let's use it in terms of, if you put diesel fuel in your car, you can have trouble. Now, unless you've got a, a diesel run automobile, I don't, but we have uh, cars which we have to use unleaded. Now, what's going to happen if you try to put uh, diesel fuel in that car whose motor, which that motor was made for unleaded fuel? It's going to be, don't try it. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be bad because it was designed for unleaded. We say, what's this got to do with his will? Everything. Everything. If we put the wrong stuff in our motor, in our mind, serving as in our determination, and our motives, and our conscience, and so forth, we put, the wrong, we put diesel fuel in there, it's not going to flourish and work and do what was going to, actually is going to damage the engine. We've got to be sure that we're focusing on finding what God's word, word, will is as it's revealed in Scripture. I want us to do this. So what we're going to be doing is considering, with regard to our call to great the Great Commission, I don't pretend to exhaust all of the revealed moral will of God. But I do want to give you eight, I know at least eight, that come through. And I'm going to move us through these. So here's where we'll go. I've got eight truths that I want to present to you regarding the will of God to be done. Now, just a little... Um, side note here I thought well we could take our Bibles and turn to each of these passages and so forth but since I'm really on a got to get there of too much to say and none of time situation so the 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 words are going to be on the screen I'm not saying that this is good day in and day out day out as a Bible expositor for my entire life you know I still I like the Bible to be in one's hands and our hands looking down at the text and really good taking notes Maybe marking your Bible, interacting. Okay, so I'm, this is somewhat of a mild apology here. I've got all those verses up here. So you're going to see them. I see what you're seeing. And I'm going to address them. Let's look at these. We're, we're seeking to find what God's revealed will, will is in the Lord's prayer. I'll start by this one, with this one. It is the will of God that he be worshipped by blood-bought people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Oh, this one is, this passage is worn out for missions conferences. And I put it in and I knew that it would be, I said, well, here we are, you're supposed to do this, but never take it for granted, it is so important. You know, the whole, this text that I'm about to just briefly interact with here and look at, that It's it comes because through the entire gospel of Matthew, that this statement at the very end is based on the authority that was given to Jesus Christ. And Matthew writes his gospel to demonstrate that, leading all the way up to the cross, and so much time is spent on Passion Week, the cross, and resurrection. So this is where it leads to. It leads to Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And because... This was a successful work of redemption that Jesus Christ accomplished on that cross. It's not an accident in any sense of the term. It was the accomplished will of God. Now pause here for, I have a quote from a, he was in heaven now, but he was a long time professor of missions at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he really captured <clears throat> something very important. I'll give it to you. So the Great Commission, which is, Stated for us here in Matthew twenty eight, nineteen and twenty, does not make Christianity a missionary religion. <clears throat> Our missionary mandate is based on the character and purpose of God. All right, let's let's think about this. Let's try to possess it a bit. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven. What authority? He's the king of the Jews. Oh, is there a Massive amount of eschatology. Things to come bound up in this. And on earth as has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. What are they? Well, they come to Christ. And then disciples, they hear, they understand, and they obey Christ's teachings. All right. We can't go into all the issues regarding discipleship. Some get out. Some get out of the starting block and they don't look back and they're shoom, others kind of work their way along got things, you know, things right away that can be a bit of an impediment. But still, you get the point. A disciple is coming after Jesus in faith in Christ, in him alone. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now look at Revelation 5 9. Revelation 5-9 is at a key point in, in the book of Revelation. You're familiar with the first uh, three chapters where he goes through the chapters 2 and 3 to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And then in chapters 4 and 5, which is just absolutely splendid, captured my imagination when I was a teenager and heard Mrs. McCluskey, that little old lady sitting in that corner teaching that Bible study at uh, the home of Frank and Betty Clark. Only well, if you would remember them. But I was this 14-year-old kid and I heard her talk about this throne scene. Excuse me. I was not in my notes, but I couldn't resist. The, 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 what comes back to me? I, I saw this picture, what she was describing. And it just captured me. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. So together, what are we seeing in these two passages? That we have a responsibility to everyone on this planet in some form, some fashion, some way. At least that's the call to which that's the will of God. Some from every tribe, tongue and people and nation were purchased by the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And it's used seven times. This language is used seven times in the book of Revelation. So the whole, the rest of the world, in case we missed it, racial, ethnic groups, diversity. Remember this, though. It's diversity that's infused with truth. The world is promoting right now. There is a philosophy going about that's touting diversity. Christians say that, yes, I'm for that. Well, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's diversity that's infused with truth. Diversity in and of itself means you have diverse, different kinds of people, skin colors, ethnic groups, and so forth, but we're all sinners in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, <clears throat> so we go from there. I want to make one final point here before we go to the second statement of moral truth with regard to what is his will. You know, we have a lot being said with regard to immigration I've followed the news I'm a news wonk I have just have I'm addicted to news of all kinds I want to I want to know what's going on I don't need to tell you this do we have a problem at the border you say yes now let's be careful with this news from the border we see millions of people and I mean it is approaching that just spilling over open borders and so forth well we got to be careful we don't want to commit this and make it just some kind of political concern, and that's all. It does have political dimensions, but I'm not here to address that now. What I want to say is this, and I'm really going to have to leave this with you, the congregation. It's this, that whether legally or illegally, the world is coming to us. Okay, I'm not saying the illegal is all fine and good. I'm simply saying, okay, it's happening. And I want to offer and leave this challenge to our church and to our missions team, which is greatly depleted right now, and I'm going to speak to that a little bit later on. I know what's going on. <laughs> we have an obligation. What can we do as a church to become aware of and to have some involvement in some measure? I mean, we can't all get on a bus and go down and try to help the, the, the Border Patrol. I mean, we'd get in their way, it'd be a mess. But what can we do? We can pray. There are ministries, and you're not going to get any news about the ministries that are working to reach these people, the immigrants that are coming across the border. That's just the secular news is not going to tell you that. So what we have to do is say, Lord, there's something here we need to think through and say, how can we be faithful to your commission and that your will would be done and see that, some measure, some way, somehow the gospel is getting through to those who are coming over into our land, in our nation, who want to be here, whether legally or illegally. Illegally. All right, I'll leave it there. Secondly, it is the will of God that we pursue the will of God with our whole being all the time for all of our life. Don't let this one get away from you. Matthew 22, 34 through 20. 34 through 38, I think. But here's what it says. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, comment. This occurs, by the way, in just a few days before his crucifixion. It's that week, it's a fascinating week. There were a couple of days that Jesus was just peppered with gotcha questions. Uh, The the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they were doing everything they could to catch Jesus in his words and discredit him. This is one of those occasions. And he he had made the Sadducees look bad because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And he taught the resurrection. All right, so they gathered together and said, okay, we didn't get him on that gotcha. We got another gotcha. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, now, I'm going to preface this. No one had ever done what he did right here. We read and say, hey, that's easy. I got a thought of that. Or could you? 613 commandments, and you got it down to two, and you tell them just right on the spot. It's what he did. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, depend all the law and the prophets what is it obeying his commands is the will of God well look at this one we are to love God love is commanded now just as a side note here it's more than just a feeling I know all about Cupid and all this kind of thing and emotion it's involved but love is commanded if we are to fulfill our responsibility to be meaningfully engaged in reaching the people of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to have our priorities aligned with God's priorities. That's what he means, loving God with all your own mind, soul, and strength. Does that mean everybody should pack their bags and go to some remote place and serve God to be a church planner or a witness in some form or fashion around this place the world? Well, no, that's not the way God is gifted and the way he works to distribute gifts and orders and so forth. However, we do need to have our priorities in order so that we demonstrate that we do love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let me press it a little further. That the Bible doesn't pit the church against anything but sin. What I'm really trying to knock in a cocked hat here is the idea that priorities that I, I heard this as a young teenager and never could, it seemed a little wooden. You love Jesus first, others second. And then yourself. Something like that. Is that right? J-O-Y I don't remember the acronym. So we think we got these priorities. You've got to do this first, this second, this third, this fourth. It's unworkable. It can't happen. We have simultaneous responsibilities. Think of God in the center. The blazing center, God loving him. And then think of everything. Think of job. Think of recreation. Think of school. Think of family. Think of all these areas of government responsibilities simultaneously. So it, it, it isn't the church, then the job. You know, I got the church first, then my job. You might get fired if you really start thinking that way. Well, I, well, whatever. For various ministries in the church are equally important. We can't say evangelism is more important than edification or reverse, the reverse it's the danger of getting overly involved. Part of our responsibility in the church is to equip us for our responsibilities out the church. So loving God means that I'm on notice. God wants me to demonstrate my devotion to him in every aspect of my life. And every day is going to involve some element of that. So we don't want to dumb this thing down to where it's just a kind of warm, fuzzy feeling about God and then we just kind of go on living with these warm feelings about God. It's demonstrating it. That's what it does. Oh my, and how easily we become unfaithful to God, and James says it in his letter, he says it, you love the world and you go after after other priorities. You do that and you're an adulteress. Slap me in the face. That's pretty serious language. I mean, who would think this way, with regard to love and devotion to God, and the way we may tend to want to dumb it down a bit? Husband goes to the grocery store, comes home, says, "Honey, yeah, you know I love you. You know, I was in the produce section, got to talking with this lady, and she was really nice, and we had a good conversation. I've got a date next Friday night. Is that okay with you?" <laughs> it's awful. But two, let's don't play games with God. I get, get up in the morning, Lord. I want to love you. I want to be devoted to you. And show me where that shows up in my priorities. Thirdly, it's the will of God that his blood-bought, that blood-bought worshipers, his blood-bought worshipers, delight in, think about, study, discover, and pursue his will. Here we go. Could use a number of passages. I got this one, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know this. You've memorized it. You're saying it already in your mind. Good, good. <clears throat> Which is, he says, this, uh, this living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't let it press you into its mold, that Philip's paraphrase famously puts it. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Get your thinking right. Get your head screwed on right. By that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is it? Get these three. Good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So the will of God to which we are called in our thinking, and our thinking with regard to missions, among other things. The will of God is good, that it, it overcomes evil. It's acceptable. It pleases God. It's perfect. It's ethically complete. God doesn't give me responsibilities and a moral will to follow that's going to lead me in the wrong direction. Not at all. The will of God means developing and exercising my spiritual gifts. Why do I say that? Because I know what comes after Romans 12 1 and 2 is Romans 12 3 and following. And he immediately, Paul, goes into the matter of spiritual gifts and getting along with one another and how to function in this world. Marvelous, marvelous uh, play out of this matter of what the will of God is. Good and perfect and acceptable. So when we are ardent pursuers of God's revealed will, we'll be thinking, planning, praying, and doing things that count for eternity. We'll resolve to make our lives count for God. We won't waste our lives. Uh, John Piper wrote a little book, uh, Don't Waste Your Life. Don't waste your life. It's a good read. We don't, how does your giftedness fit into God's desire for the nations to worship Him? So we're looking at moral missions. Where can I fit into all this? Well, here's what we know God has, at the moment of your conversion to Jesus Christ, You were given a gift or gifts. And those gifts were meant to serve the body of Christ and bring it along to maturity in the faith. And it's going to show itself in varieties of ways. So you just go on and read. You'll see mercy, administration, uh, uh, teaching, exhortation. Uh, You've got a gift set. Now, you don't have to know that to begin to start serving. That was a fad back 20, 30 years ago. So we had seminars so people could find out what their gift was so they could begin to, you know, just get, get involved and it'll show up. And if you end up in the, doing something that's not quite your gift set, you'll find out. <laughs> and you want somebody to help you along the way. So here's the challenge. We mustn't waste our time. Got to speak to the teenagers. Oh, I'd love to have about 20 or 30 right in here, but somehow this can maybe can leak out. Would you help me make it leak out? that oh teenagers young people you're in the early you're in the early years of your life in the life of formation and it's incredible you make some of the biggest decisions in your life by the time the age of what 25 that's about the time the brain kindly of in males gets set where you figure out uh, cause and effect that's why young males can really do stupid things and uh and that also, it's young males who've got some other attributes, but that's another thing. They fight our wars for us. <laughs> so here's the point I'm trying to make, is that take these younger years that God's given to you. You've got health. You've got, you know, you, your brain, is, it's not, it hasn't shriveled a whole lot yet. Uh, and you've got gifts. How are you training yourself? Maybe with some, it's, uh, it could be a musical instrument tediously going and you think oh my i gotta go another day of piano practice or whatever it is you know when you do these things in those younger years a certain study of interest to you a certain hobby god is really working in his providence to get you shaped up so that you can be ready to function for him in the years to come and it'll surprise you say i'm so thankful that i stayed with that and i worked at that it wasn't a whole lot of fun at the time but maybe it's a second language or a third language? Oh, I can't stay there, but I hope you get me. Three, number four. It is the will of God that his blood-bought elect go to the ends of the earth to call his other sheep to Jesus Christ. Oh, uh, well, We're really in up to our ears now and while we're having this conference this, these two weeks. John ten sixteen, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now, i got to tell you a little bit about the lead into this passage. John 9, remember the blind man? <laughs> He'd been blind. Jesus heals him. Then the Pharisees tried to talk him out of the fact that he didn't know what happened to him. You're, you're still blind. You just don't know it. I <laughs> mean, such stupid arguments. And it's quite a story of God taking the blindness and getting it in sight. And he comes to worship the Lord because he was reminded that he as in physical blindness. So in spiritual blindness, you can't see where you're going. And, and when you're given the, the, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ and the new birth and the Holy Spirit, ah, I can see, I can see, I can understand. But Jesus then hitchhikes on that in John 10. That's where he talks about the shepherd and the sheep. Watch out, they're, they're shepherds, they're hirelings, they're those that are not good for you. Watch out for them. But he does say that, listen, I have other sheep. Who are those? Those are the Gentiles. The Gentiles are to be reached for Jesus Christ. I don't believe that the disciples at this point, I don't believe that they fully got that. I can tell from just reading Acts epistles. It was kind of dawning on them. Christ died for his sheep. He knows his sheep. He gathers his sheep. Could I hear a collective, ba, ba? We're here. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I like this. Packer put it this way, Jeff Packer. God chooses who will belong to his sheep, and they are already his before Jesus calls them. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and him who comes to me I will not cast out. Notice the sovereign wills. Notice that in this passage. Now, here is something that uh, uh, makes some uncomfortable. You mean that God chose me before I chose him? I'm offended. I've got a will of my own, and I can exercise that will, because after all, it wouldn't be fair. If God chose me before I chose him, could I just say, I can't stay here, but I'll say that. Don't let that bother you, that God chose you. Are you uh, have you put your trust in Christ? Thank you, God. <laughs> Who in my neighborhood? And I'm thinking of the houses around my house. And I pray for, can't mention their names, or their close neighbors. Are they these for whom Jesus Christ is going to call to be his sheep? Could be. Could be. So what? God will accomplish his sovereign work of redemption. Now some, I know, argue that the doctrine of election makes missions unnecessary. No, 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 no. Uh, Tell that to the great missionaries of the past who have traveled to the ends of the earth and sacrificed. Tell that to a David Livingston who's now with the Lord and many others. No. The elective work of God gives us hope. I know that God's gone before me and is working in hearts. Now, who, how, when, where? God's not frustrated and I'm on his team. <laughs> Lord, you got me. So the truth was an encouragement to Paul. You know this passage? He said this to Paul and when Paul came into the city of Corinth, Acts 18, 19, and 10, it just looked overwhelming, all these people. And he says, this is in a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man shall attack you to harm you, for I have many people in this city. He's got many people in Fayette County. He's got many people in Georgia. He's go wherever. So Jesus calls us to reach his sheep. going will say more about this a little bit later. I'm in a hurry to get to the conclusion because I know what it is. <laughs> I hope it comes across right. Five. 5. it is the will of God that his worshipers faithfully endure pain and suffering so that God's chosen may obtain their salvation. Second 2 Timothy 2:10 Paul says, therefore for this reason and the, the context there is Paul's is in prison but you know he makes this point I, I, I'm shut down but God's word's not shut down. it's not in prison. I may be limited. You know, maybe it's my health that's shutting me down. I mean, many of us thought this way during COVID. You get COVID. Then you get COVID again after that. And then you get uh, whatever. Whatever the shutdown looks like, God's word's not in prison. Therefore, I do everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation, the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. When Paul was converted, he was immediately informed of the sacrifice that he was called to make for Christ's sake. Look at that in Acts 9, 15 and 16. Paul, if I ever got a task for you, you're going to get beaten, you're going to get maligned, you're going to get mocked, you're going to, be, you're going to go through all kinds of emotional, mental, and physical pain for my sake and for the gospel's sake. So we are called to endure suffering for Christ's sake, for the gospel's sake. Briefly here stated, uh, this is not really self-referential, it's about somebody else, but I need to say it. I've got a brother-in-law he is, he is one of my heroes. And my brother-in-law has got cancer. He's got, his prostate cancer has gone into bone cancer. He goes into chemo every three weeks on Monday. Feels like dirt the next week. Just, and from there on, he tries to feel just a little bit better. It keeps him weak this is a six foot three high college basketball player 84 years of age and he he had me walk around his driveway <laughs> and I took my watch he said could you measure the distance because he wants to walk that because he's so weak and can hardly walk I think it was 266 feet and uh and he's so he's known in his neighborhood because he walks in his neighborhood and he picked up trash like Beth and I do sometimes <laughs> and we pick up the picks up the trash people knew him and this one man saw him in the neighborhood a few houses up and he called out to him they got into a conversation I'm really having to shorten this up it's such a good story in that he calls out and this man won't use his name he may end up hearing this but he'll know who he is that he came to Christ he's an older man and I mean, he is, he's been through some, down some rough roads. You <laughs> would not have figured it. <laughs> and he trusted Christ. We've sat and talked with him. We're going up there again this week to he'll probably come by and we'll talk, And, and uh, it, I, my, my point is this: no matter what your condition, maybe it's so, you're so weak you could hardly get around. You're not what you used to be. God can use our pain and suffering to reach people that we had never anticipated. Uh, I've, I've got to read this, I'm, This is so good. This pain suffering and evangelism and reaching out to the lost. Uh, I have a book I recommend here, um, Do you expect me to get through a talk or something I recommend in a book. The, to the Golden Shore. Anybody ever read this? Oh, okay,, uh, you know. This is the life of R. Judson. I highly recommend this. It's not your typical missionary biography story because the, the uh, author here, Courtney Anderson, he was a journalist. He knows he knew how to write. I, I'm telling you, it's a page turner. It's, what is it? Good night, almost 500 pages. Whew. Read it. Well, I'm diving into it. And here's what I want you to... Uh, we don't want you to hear. He tells of how adniram Judson met his wife, her name Nancy, or Ann, Ann Judson. And they hadn't known her very long. He, I think it was about a month. And he was planning on going to India at that time, though he did end up in Burma. And he saw her, bam, he was smitten. This is it. She's the one. Well, at that time, let's see if he lived from 1788 to 1850. So it was in that era when uh, the tradition was, still is to some extent today, go to the father and ask permission. She was reluctant to marry him at first. And this is what he wrote to, this is what Edna Arm Judson wrote to Anne's father requesting her hand in marriage. This is big. Okay. I have um, the one I won't I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring. <laughs> uh, to see her no more in this world <coughs> whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, and every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death, can you consent to all this for the sake of him who (coughs) left his heavenly home and died for her and for you and for the sake of perishing immortal souls for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the (coughs) crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise which should redound to her Savior and from heathen save through her means from eternal woe and despair? How about that? How would you like to get that one from a would-be missionary who wants to marry your daughter? Oh, my, I'm just saying this. We don't know what God has in store for us, whatever age in life, but here it is. Be prepared. Be prepared. Could I just briefly insert this? Folks, I know what's going on in our culture. I try to really keep up with it. We're in for even more difficult times, really, really difficult times. But that shouldn't stand in our way. God wants to use our endurance of pain and suffering and rejection and persecution to bring greater greater glory to him. So we shouldn't be curled up in a corner and sucking our thumbs in a fetal position. No, not at all. Number six. It is the will of God that those who are single love God more than marriage and explore the opportunities their single life offers. I'm going to shorten this one up not to shortchange you who are not married yet, you'd like to hear a little talk about the single person in missions, but I'll put it to you this way for 1 Corinthians 7:32 and 33. I want you to be free from anxiety, as Paul says. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. He's not saying that's bad. It's just different. So I'm just going to summarize this, this one here. I'm going to kind of squeeze it a little bit to, to finish out. That you're not married. That's not bad. Um, I can tell you this. There's some people who are married and said, you know... Maybe I should have waited a little bit longer. Who knows? I don't, don't be in such a big hurry. Lord, I want what well, you have right. There's the right one for me. And you know, in the meantime, you can use your single life in extraordinary ways. You can go places, place, do things. I mean, you, you've, got, you've got flexibility. You've got time. You can go on a missions trip. You don't have to check with all kinds of people. Now, honey, is it okay? Do you want to go with me? Uh, you, we can go. I can go. So... Mission trips, missions committee, prayer for missionaries, short-term, long-term, a lot of things, oh my. Number seven, it's the will of God that Christian families embrace the world as God's harvest field. John 4, 35, here it is. Do you, do, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. What Jesus is saying there, favorite passage for missions conferences, what he's doing is this is on, he's drafting on the experience that he just had talking to the Samaritan woman. Remember, the woman came to the well and talks to her about, I've got some water here. You, you talk about uh, uh, health water and nutritious water. You want to talk about a special, and there are all kinds. i got one that you'll never need anymore. Well, you won't have to go to the well anymore. Well, tell me about that one. I won't have to go to the store and buy eternal water anymore. No. Well, Jesus was turning it and he said, listen. And you know, I think probably at that time he may have been referring to the wheel fields of white to harvest. The people were coming out in scores to hear who this man was that she says the prophet's here and you've got to come hear him. And there fields of white to harvest. And then he goes on about sowing and reaping. And his point is, sowing and reaping in the work of God is his moral will, take place simultaneously. You don't have to sow and then wait till you reap. Get, it, get at it. It's the importance of one lost soul. The importance of spiritual things above material things. <clears throat> We're to focus on the opportunities, not the problems. Because the, the, the disciples said, did somebody come here and take, give him some food? He's talking about food. We don't see any food. He wasn't talking about real food. He was talking about that which nourishes the soul, the word of God. Oh, parents, make your home missions conference. I love to go into these homes and these refrigerators and see these people, the pictures, and relationships that have been built. That's happened through the years with certain missionaries, and you've really picked up with them, and they're just like a soulmate to you. They're not just somebody in a distant land. Make your, make your home world conscious. Missionaries on the refrigerator, maps, prayer for missionaries, missionary stories, missionaries in your home. I hope all our missionaries being taken care of. It was, seemed like it was a little touch and go. Uh, I'm not fussing at you. I'm just saying "Mm, that's a good opportunity. Visit our missionaries, that sort of thing. I conclude it's the will of God that this church, this church, Baraka Bible Church, rally to the flag of our Father in heaven and call all people everywhere to lay down their arms of unbelief and submit to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come all the way back full circle to Matthew 28, 19, and 20. All of us are called to a life involved in reaching the world for Jesus Christ. What's this mean? No matter what career path, you don't all have to become a full-time missionary. Career, job, wherever God's put you in his providence, explore it, exploit it. The seat of selfless, life-giving, active wartime, living for building Christ's church. I conclude with these, shall I say, a takeout. You know, little is much when God's in it. I'm seeing a lot of empty seats. I'm not naive. I wish this place were just brimming, <coughs> and we had every we had twice, three times as many. But listen, little as much, we God's in it. Little as much, what can we do? We can do a lot. Here's what we can do. I'll give you these quickly. For the rest of the missions conference, we can be here and listen. I, we don't want to. Get in the car and take off and miss the reports in the next hour. I'm not going to look at that. I don't want to know. But this is important. I've already seen some of the previews. The the next hour is important. If you're really hungry, go over and pig out over across in Building B, and that will carry to lunchtime. Pray for God's will to be done. Take these notes, if you've taken any, remember anything here that's been said, and work them into your prayer life this week. I will be done. See whether the Spirit of God can take you with this. Pick a pick a nation to pray for each month of the year. Go ahead. Pick one. Right, we think of some immediate pray for Russia, China, Ukraine, but don't forget about Zimbabwe. Don't forget about Bosnia. Oh, plenty of nations. Pray about. It. Get get modestly informed as to what's going on there. When you look at the news, say, oh, there! hey, that's something, I didn't know that. Four, select a missionary for whom your family can pray. Yeah, get focused, you pray for the missionaries, but pick one out and, and give some special attention to that one missionary. They will appreciate it. And consider serving on the missions team. I'm not, I don't want to embarrass them, but I'll just say it this way. I know that there were only two people left to really work to help prepare for this conference. Others entered in, but we need that missions team flourishing. And I'm, I'm asking you to think about, could you serve on the missions team? You know who you need to talk to? Mike Hutzel. You know who Mike Hutzel is? He was the first man up here this morning. Talk to him and say, you know, I'm interested in that missions team. What's what's involved? Oh, oh Lord, please provide. Your will be done <laughs> in that one. And, and, I, and, and I would add this. I don't have this in my list, but I, I've got it. We got, we've got to do something about our grace promise plan. You know, one of the things that really troubled me when we begin to get some evacuation of the premises, could I put it uh, uh, gently, is that I, I, re, I, I look at the, uh, the, the financial report, missions. We've got missionaries to support. Does that mean stop giving to missions and grace promise? No. Uh Uh-uh. Lord, stoke my heart. Maybe some of us can say, well, Lord, I got to make up for some gap here. We've got missionaries we're responsible for. Lord, help us. And then finally, let's work together. Let's work together to be home missionaries. Let's do that. I, I need to do this. Uh, I don't get out and about as much as I think I could or used to. I don't know. I haven't figured that one out yet, but I do get out. Talk to people. Talk to people. I'm going to pray. I'm praying for Andre. I met Andre yesterday. He's a, he's a, photo, a photographer for the city, Peachtree City. He was just over in his car getting some sophisticated stuff out, and we got to talking. And uh, I got his name, Synod, and I gave him one of these. And the Gospel of John, it, you got this off Amazon, and you can get them. It costs you a little bit, but that's, it's worth price. It. You bought other things you didn't need. You do put in the yard sale. But uh, this one, here, get, order some of these. And it's this is a, they talk about a track with punch. Whom! <laughs> the Gospel of John. And let's, Lord, bring people into my life that I can speak to about Christ and witness for him. You know, a church is going to grow not by just waiting on people who are disenchanted with other places and things, not Christians who are just sort of wandering around. We need to see unsaved people come to know Christ. And those in this congregation who need to be discipled, and we do that with one another. I'm through, I'm over time, let's pray. Oh, our God, our God, I pray you will work in our hearts. Take these thoughts, these words, that you'll filter out things that have been distracting. And guide us, Lord, to places and ways that we can can do the work of the gospel effectively for your namesake. Lead us to some people, the Andres that are out there and others who need Christ. So help us, Lord. And may your hand of blessing be on the duration of this annual conference. We ask it for your namesake your will be done in christ